what a great opening scene. In the first 10 minutes, we witnessed a near miss shooting, a swarm of spiders, a daring leap over a pit, a stolen golden statue, a frantic pursuit, and a thrilling escape from a giant boulder. And amidst all this, we discover our hero's surprising fear of snakes. Now let's turn to another gripping scene from the blockbuster Gospel of John. Picture this, Jesus enters the temple during the Passover, encountering a scene that challenges the very essence of sacred space. The temple, meant for reverence and worship, has been transformed into a marketplace bustling with commerce. Our hero takes action against injustice in the temple, a temple that is doomed for the way it is doing business. Jesus fashions a whip of cords and with a snap of his whip, changes begin. We'll be get to the snakes next week. I need to take a slight detour here before we get into the text. The phrase of the Jews comes up over and over again in the book of John. That phrase has been used to foster antisemitism over the years. When John says the Jews, he's often referring to those who are working against Jesus. So when we read the words, the Jews in the Gospel of John, consider replacing those words with the enemies of Jesus, since most all the people in the story were Jews. We're having what I'm told is a life-changing two-day seminar here addressing anti-Semitism on March 17th and 18th with Dr. Brendan Murphy from Marist. Please join us to help us all better understand the misuse of texts like this. So now hear the good news from the second chapter of John, verses 13 to 22. The Passover of the Jews, appropriately used, was near and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheeps and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The enemies of Jesus then said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. The enemies of Jesus then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years and you'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Let us pray. Gracious God, help us to clear room for you in our life. May the cleansing that is needed take place. Amen. As you might remember, Devo once famously said, when a problem comes along, you must whip it. Jesus has joined other pilgrims for the Passover in the temple. He sees a problem. The money changers have been moved into the temple itself, filling the courtyard with commerce rather than setting up on the hillside outside. And there Jesus decides to whip it, whip it good. In our world today, people are ready to crack their whips without much provocation. We seem to get angry so easily these days. Anybody else notice that? Just mention politics and people are 
about to boil over on all sides. Dunwoody traffic sets people off. You can watch hours of YouTube with customers losing it on retail workers when those retail workers were just trying to do their jobs. But let's get more personal. What makes you angry? Are you easily angered? Is your anger purposeful? How do you deal with your anger? In her book, The Rise of Rage, Harnessing the Most Misunderstood Emotion, Julia Christensen, a psychotherapist in Ontario, identifies three of the most common coping styles for dealing with anger, suppressing, expressing, and calming our anger. She calls the suppressor the bottler, B-O-T-T-L-E-R. Bottlers try to hold everything in for as long as possible. Do you know any bottlers? Bottling makes sense if you don't want to rock the boat. Just pretend everything is okay. Some families are better bottlers than Coca-Cola, but the pressure builds up and eventually explodes. The second style she describes is the scrapper. Scrappers express anger quite readily. We all have an element of scrapper inside each of us, but the true scrapper takes their anger out on someone or something that can't fight back, someone with less power. They are the toddler who kicks the dog. The person who feels powerless at home or at work that berates the restaurant server for just a small infraction. Scrappers can be extremely physical with their expression of anger and it's really effective because it releases energy but it's not so effective in terms of maintaining healthy relationships because in the long run it's hard to trust someone who always acts out and doesn't think things through. They're not focused on problem solving, they're focused on feeling better in the moment. Back in the early 2000s, entrepreneurs in Japan saw so much anger piling up, they decided to give people a safe place to express their frustration. There, the first rage rooms were born. Have you heard of these? A rage room is a place where you can pay to smash stuff, to scream at the top of your lungs while listening to some ragey soundtrack. Well, today they're popular here in the U.S., I visited one last week just to check it out. They got me all suited up for safety. I set up some bottles to be smashed, but instead I turned over the whole table. (laughs) I finally figured it out here by the end of my time in that rage room. Research has said that these rooms might be fun for a little while, but they're not really effective in helping people deal with their anger in the long term because anger is merely a response to a problem. In the book Margin, we find that anger tells us something needs to be protected. In fact, anger can be a gift. It lets us know that there is a problem, but we tend to focus on the anger itself, which blocks our ability to use stress in a positive manner. Some of us like the anger. We talk about it all the time. We start conversations with how mad we are rather than realizing that anger is pointing us toward a problem. The third style is the conductor, calming anger through activity. The conductor just lets the anger flow through them by saying, I'm just gonna go to the gym and work it out or I'll work it out at dance class or I'll go for a run or I'll just go work extra hard digging at the great day of service or I'll clean my house furiously or I'll reorganize the freezer. I'll do something that makes me feel better and that's a good quick fix, but it doesn't solve the problem either. 
It used to be that our level of anger showed the importance of the problem. A little issue, and we're just irritated. A bigger issue, we're frustrated. A larger issue, we're mad. But today, suddenly we're furious, and then other times we're in a complete fit of rage before we know it. Our level of anger should depend on what the stimulus was, right? But too often we're overreacting in our world today. So many of us are fit to be tied all the time with anger just below the surface. Anger lets us know there's a problem, and although it's never stated, Jesus must have been angry when he saw the problem there, the crowding out of the sacred in the temple. There was little room left for God and for true sacrifice, for true worship. Jesus was neither a bottler nor a scrapper. Instead, he modeled a balanced approach to anger. He didn't suppress his feelings or unleash them recklessly. Rather, he channels his anger into constructive action. Jesus challenges the status quo, demanding a return to the sacred purpose of the temple. For Jesus, it was time to send a message. You know, there are times when people need a wake-up call, right? You can say the same thing to them over and over again, and they don't change. I wonder if Jesus had discussed his concerns with the powers that be at the temple, but that just fell on deaf ears. There are times we need to take an extreme action like Jesus did so people finally listen and whip it. I just finished an amazing book, Unreasonable Hospitality by Will Gadara. It's about the quest to create the best restaurant in the world. The book is full of thoughtful lessons, but this one stuck, stuck out to me. You cannot establish any standard of excellence without criticism. So a thoughtful approach to how you correct people must be part of your culture. This is as true at home as it is at work, as it is at church. Gadara was working with Daniel Hume, one of the best chefs in the world, at 11 Madison Park in New York City. Daniel was famous for his temper, and like many classically trained European chefs, he was used to yelling at the kitchen staff, often ranting and raging. Gadara tried to joke with Daniel after these incidents, saying, come on, man, you don't want to be one of those lunatic chefs. Daniel would laugh it off and agree, but then the next week the behavior would be repeated. One day Gadara was in the kitchen when a cook put up an incorrectly plated crab roulade with avocado. Daniel picked up the food with his hands and threw it right back in the cook's face. Gadara was speechless. He could not believe what he'd just seen, but he knew it was unacceptable. Gadara said he dragged Hume into the hallway and for the first time in his life, he actually screamed at someone he worked with. He said, if you're going to throw food into people's faces, I want nothing to do with you. You're incredible and I love what we're doing here, but you need to decide right now what kind of leader you want to be. Because if that's how your kitchen is going to operate, then you're going to do this without me and you can find somebody else to run this restaurant with. He was asking the chef the question, who do you want to be? It's the question we all must answer during Lent. Who do we want to be? Do we want to be a bottler, a scrapper, a conductor? All of which don't really deal with the source of our anger. Or do we want to be more like Jesus, following Jesus in Jesus' footsteps this Lent? When he saw something that angered him, he took some time to prepare a response, fashioning a whip of cords, which must have taken more than a few minutes as he pondered his response. When we're angry, it's best to take a moment. In fact, taking a deep breath is actually helpful physiologically. 
A deep breath oxygenates your brain so that your frontal lobes can re-engage and start solving the problem. Jesus sees the scene that angers him, takes a deep breath and prepares a measured response. He doesn't suppress his anger, but expresses it in a healthy way. He does not take it out on the people less powerful than he is. In fact, he takes on the powers that were in place. He used the power he had to call attention to a problem in a way that made people stop and take notice. This is not a tantrum, but as Tambrin taught us the other day, it's a teachable moment for all around. He tells them, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. Then, and this is the key friends, after this outburst, Jesus engages those around in conversation to solve the problem. The scribes and the Pharisees around him say, just who do you think you are? The text says the Jews, but we know it means the enemies of Jesus. The enemies of Jesus then said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The enemies of Jesus then said, this temple's been under construction for 46 years and you'll raise it up in three days. They were talking past each other for Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. Think about how anger impacts the temple of your body. As we journey through Lent, here's what I want us to do. When anger arises, take a moment to pause. Breathe deeply and consider your response. Think back to the last time you got angry. Was it righteous anger? What is the problem that needs to be solved that was the reason you were angry? Let's ask ourselves, how can we address the underlying issues causing our anger? How can we channel that energy into positive change, both in our lives and in the world around us? As we come to the table this morning, what might need to be cleansed from the temple of your body? Take a good look at your life and invite Jesus to cleanse that part of you that part of your life, so there's more room for God in your life. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. It's not too late. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.